Thank you for listening to Liberty Christian Center's podcast. Let's join guest minister Rob Hunt for today's message. Today we're going to be talking about the laws of the kingdom. I've got a lot to go through, and uh, so I'm going to stack it all at the front end side, and if I have to leave any behind, we'll just uh, we'll go with that. But um, you see, the laws... The laws in the spirit realm, the laws of the kingdom, are very similar to the laws in the physical universe. They're laws that all interact and, and, uh, and work with one another. But we need to know how those laws work. They work whether we know or not, but they're going to benefit us the more that we know about those things. This book right here is a book full of spiritual laws. And we, we were not born with a... a eye into the spiritual realm. We, we only have five physical senses, but by the Spirit of God, His revelation can make those things known to us. Amen? All those things are contained. I believe that the answer to every single problem in life, every single question, is answered right here in this book. And so as we get to dig deeper into these things and know that these things can be known, that there's wisdom there in knowing the laws of the kingdom. Just like in the, in the physical realm, we didn't know how to fly up until a very short time ago. We didn't know the dynamics of what it is to fly. Even though thousands of years ago, we could fly just like we fly today. The problem is we didn't know how to. We hadn't tapped into the dynamics around the laws of what it is to, to, to combine lift and thrust like the life the Wright brothers did to defy the laws of gravity, to overcome that. And now we are living in a time where we're seeing the benefits of knowing those things. So there are laws that we could know to where we could see the rubber meet the road in our lives. God wants us to see the rubber meet the road. The first law I'm going to talk about is the law of conscious belief. And of course, we all know about the scripture, Mark eleven twenty three. at least if you've been to this church at all. You, uh, you have heard preached on many times, Mark eleven twenty three, and where Jesus basically says that your emotions, when, you're, when, when you know what you want and you believe, and when your emotions and your heart line up with what you believe and you confess, you will move mountains, Okay? but they've got to be lined up. First off, you, the first key is that you've got to know what you want. He says, whatsoever things you desire, what is your vision? What is it that you want? What are the things that you're, you're seeking after, that you're praying to God for? Are you praying, are you asking God for the nations? Are you asking God for for uh, even for your next door neighbor or that person at work, that the love of God would be shed abroad in their heart. What is your vision? What is it that God is, is putting on your heart to do? Because once you connect with, with the things that you want, now you, know, you have a destination. You know where you're going. See, I'll put it this way. If, if there's a ship in a harbor and it has a destination to go, and you know that destination... You've got to steer that ship to get it to that destination. If you steer it 
99 times out of 100, 99.9 times out of 100, it'll get there. Maybe some storm or something, you know. Maybe there's a small chance it won't. But if you don't steer it, you just put that ship there, there's the, there's the destination, and you don't steer it, you just say, well, you know, who cares about that steering wheel thing? Just let it go. 99.9 times out of, a, out of 100, it won't get to where it is. Just that small chance it, it will, perchance, happen to land where it's going. We need to be directed. We need to know where it is that we're going. And, you know, the, the book of James talks about the tongue being a rudder. What a great and mighty ship that a small rudder steers. That's what the tongue is among our members. We need to line up what we say, what we confess, with what we believe. Because once we do that, according to Mark eleven twenty three, once we do that, mountains will move. If what's up here on the surface level lines up with the deepest part of you, the deepest subconscious, consciously believing core part of your belief, mountains will move. So I'm asking you, are mountains moving in your life? If mountains are not moving, what is, where's the holdup? If mountains are not moving in your life, where is it that, uh, where are things, where's the disconnect? Because we have a very clear list of items that need to be done here, and you've got to do them all. Are we doing them all? Are we looking at the mountain? Are we asking? Are we speaking to it? Are we believing and not doubting in our hearts? Sometimes we try these things halfway, but you've got you've to do this. This is a law. Turn to James chapter 4 and verse 2. And I'm going to start, James 4, verse 2, I'm going to start about halfway through. Where he says, you fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not. See, he's, he's answering the question here. This is a very biblical answer to the question of why aren't your mountains moving? Okay? First off, are you asking? You have not because you ask not. Second, he says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your lusts. Now, what does it mean to ask amiss? Essentially, what he's saying is that your core inner believer, subconscious inner man, your heart, is not lining up with, with what it is that you are asking. The two must line up. Your, your, your inner conscious and your outward confession must be lining up. Because you, you could be saying something. Now, now don't get me wrong. Say, speaking things uh, in your confession is important. That's how you get things down into the inner part of you. But if you're believing something just at the, at the surface level and you're confessing it and your inner heart is looking at what you just said and saying, baloney, 
baloney, you know? I don't, it, I don't believe that. You're believing that, that uh, God is for me. You're believing that his, his, his word is real in my life. And there's doubt there, way de- deep down in your heart. Then what you're believing, what you're confessing at this level is not going to take place. It's got to get down to here. It's got to make that six-inch distance trip from your head down to your heart, to your believer, to your core believer. Something that's so important is, is your conscious inner man. As, as 1 Corinthians 8 says, there's, it's a place where he talks about meat sacrifice to idols. And meat sacrifice to idols was something, it, it was a topic that was so important that that uh, um, people, if they knew that they were eating meat sacrificed to idols, it was sin to them. And Paul was saying, don't do it. This, you know, this is the, the place in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where, where Paul talks about meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, if your conscience is okay with it, go ahead and do it. Give thanks to God. You know, but if somebody's conscience is not all right with that, that is so important. Your, your conscience, the faith that you believe, if it's not right for you, he says, don't do it. It is so important what you believe on the inner man. So don't violate that. See, one thing that we, we think about James 4, verse 2 here is, is that when he says, you have not, yet you ask, because you ask not. And when you ask, you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it on your lust. We tend to think, you know, that there's a misconception here that God is, is stepping in and saying, okay, you ask for something, but you don't get it. I'm stepping in and I'm saying, you asked with the wrong motive, so I'm... I'm saying, nope, I'm cutting you off. You don't get it. But that's not what it says here. That's not what's going on. Notice here that, that it's all on your shoulders. In fact, I don't even see, I'm going to read it through here, and you count how many times that it says you and how many versus how many times it says God, okay? It says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it on your lusts. It's all on your shoulders here. God is not sitting here saying, no, I ain't, I ain't cutting you down. He knows that if you're not, what you're asking is not lining up with your, with your inner conscience, with your inner man, with your spirit. He says, live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And if that's violating it, see, when you get born again, God has given, he's, he's writing, written his laws on your heart. He's given you a new man, a new inner man. And that's a safeguard. And he knows if, if you're believing something that's contrary to that, that's in violation of that, it's asking amiss. And it, you won't receive it because it's your faith that is the most important thing here. God is very concerned with what you believe at the deep, conscious, core level. 
See, throughout Jesus' ministry, he, was, he continually met people right where their faith was at. He only worked with people at the level of, of what their belief was. He was, he was constantly saying things like, uh, your faith has saved you. The woman, what he said to the woman washing his feet, he said, your faith has healed you to the woman with the issue of blood. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. It's almost like Jesus, he wasn't saying, what can I do for you? But he was saying, what do you believe that I could do for you? It's a very important distinction. Because he knew that's, that's what he had to operate with here. I'd like to move on. That, that, that segues us into the second law here. I'm going to call it the law of dominion. And this law explains prayer much better than, than, uh, than the typical viewpoint of prayer. We, we typically view prayer as uh, begging and asking God to change his mind and be nice to us and quit dangling things just out of our reach and go ahead and, and give it to us. When in reality, God is trying to get things to us. Genesis 1, chapter 26. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you real quick. This is when God was, was creating man in the garden. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Now, when God speaks something, when he decrees something, he has to honor his word. Sometimes that's why his words are, are few at times. Because when he speaks, he's got to honor it. When he says something, he will not go back on it. He says, let them have dominion. How I wish he said, let us have dominion. That means God could do things right along with us. But he said, let man have dominion dominion. And ever since he spoke that, anything that God has ever done on this planet has only been through our help, with us, alongside us, by our permission. That is what prayer is about. He needs us. The Holy Spirit heals through our hands being laid on. That's why he, he went to, God went to, to Abraham, talked to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, the prayers have reached me. Now, Abraham, what do you think? Give me permission to do this. We have that dominion. John Wesley put it this way. He says, it seems God is limited by our prayer lives, that he could do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And even they who have been converted to God without prayer, without praying for it themselves, which is exceedingly rare, were not without the prayers of others. Every new victory which a soul gains is the effect of a new prayer. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. 
God keeps his word. Since he said man will have dominion, he has done nothing in our world except with, through, or by another human being. I'm going to start it at, uh, okay, Matthew 17, verse 14. Very familiar passage. In fact, Paul had mentioned this in his sermon last week, so I'm kind of uh, recycling some, some, stuff, some stuff here. But verse 14, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, my son, on my son, for he is a lunatic, sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. As it goes, the story here is Jesus... now. Jesus was just coming out of the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration. He was, woo <laughs> Mount, he was all transfigurized, okay? And he walks down into this scene. He comes into this scene where this man comes to him pleading to him, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's demon-possessed. And, and Jesus just kind of has this blowing his whistle, Slamming his clipboard, get over here, team. Come on, can't we run the plays, you know, coach type of moment. He was, this was a pretty scathing rebuke that he has for them. Oh, wicked and perverse generation, how long am I going to put up with you? How long will you have me with you? Get the boy over here. Demon, it's out. Miles Monroe said this. <clears throat> of all the things that this, the disciples asked him, watch the, study your Bible and see this, okay? Because of all the things, the, the disciples never asked Jesus, show me how to heal somebody. Show me how to open the eyes of the blind. The disciples only asked Jesus, show us how to pray. Show us how to pray. They watched this guy, and they saw how he was consistently getting up in the morning hours before anybody else and spending hours in prayer. He was always going off to the mountains alone. And and you see, the disciples had it the other way around. They thought that when the need comes up, that's when you, okay, we have a demon-possessed boy here. All right, let's... You know, hours and hours of prayer. And, oh, I rebuke you. Come out. I rebuke oh, and I'm, I'm tired. Tag team. All right. And they come over. And they thought that that's where it all took place. And Jesus comes along and he just goes, devil. It's gone. And they came to, to Jesus a little bit later, you know, sheepishly. Their tails tucked behind their... They were like, Lord... Back there, what happened? Um, what did happen? Can you explain that to us? I really thought that, you know, something would happen. And he says to them, he says to them, well, when you pray 
and nothing happens, that just means it wasn't God's will. And you got to accept it. Is that what he said? No. He says it's because of your lack of faith. You guys aren't taking care of this. Your believer. Those hours that you spend in prayer, are they, are they for begging God to do something? No, they're for lining up. You got to take care of this thing. Some people think that their minds and themselves are, are one and the same. But that's not true. As Paul says quite frequently, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. And that mind needs to be transformed. That mind, it, it needs to be sculpted, molded. There's strongholds that need to be taken care of in prayer. Every thought that comes against the knowledge of Christ, taken under subjection. It could take some time. Your mind is more... Think of your mind as more like an instrument, okay? Like I said, some people just let their ship go and don't steer it, okay? That's kind of like your mind. Think of your mind as an instrument, like a piano over in the corner collecting dust, or are you skillfully using that? Are you skillfully using it for the things that, that God has called you to do? God has called us to be disciplined. It's like a muscle. It's like a, a tool, an instrument. Like the parable of the sower. I'll bring up the parable of the sower if I, if I do it. One more sermon. <laughs> She seems like every sermon I bring up the parable of the sower. You've got to get your gardening gloves on. You've got to get your rototiller out. You've got to get those rocks out. You've got to pull those weeds of doubt and deception out. This is the very basic parable. Jesus says if you don't believe, you know, if you don't understand this concept about how it is in the spiritual realm, about the laws of the kingdom, we're talking about the laws of the kingdom. If you don't get this, how are you going to get anything? You have got to get in there and, and make it right. Stir things up a little bit. And make sure that the seeds that are growing are the seeds of the word. You don't have to plant weeds. Do you know that? They find their way in there on their own. You don't have to plant them. You have but to just let it go. Let go of the steering wheel of your ship. If you want to see something grow up to be fruitful, you've got to cultivate it. You've got to garden it. God made us cultivators even before the fall in the garden. That was his plan for us. Be a cultivator. Garden. I'm going to move on here. The third law. If you're writing this down, if you're taking notes, this third law is the law of sowing and reaping. This is an ultimate law. 
All other laws work within the realm of this law. Okay, well, most other laws work within the realm of this law. I'm not going to... Got to be careful with blanket statements like that. You know? <laughs> uh. <clears throat> most other laws are controlled by this law, including the law the law of grace. You know, I, I have preached grace upside down, inside out. I preach the grace message because I believe in it. It will transform your heart. You need the blood of Jesus. Quit focusing on you, on what you've done to become right before God and put the focus on Jesus. That's what grace is about. Grace puts the focus on what he did, not on what I did. But even grace, even grace needs to fall in line with the law of sowing and reaping. How is that so? Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Everything in the universe works on a give and get, a sow and reap basis. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, only then can it grow up to produce fruit. You've got to give away. Call it the law of scattering yet having more. Of giving up, and that's how you get. Of, of losing your life for God's sake, and that's how you find it. Not only with your life, but with everything. Okay? And there's a, there's a paradigm here. How does grace work alongside of sowing and reaping? Because when you sow, the law of sowing and reaping would, would seem to dictate, if I do good, God is going to be happy with me. If I do bad, God is going to be angry with me. And, and you get what you sow. And if you sow bad things, you'll get cursed and you'll get bad things. Do not be deceived. That, that's what Galatians 6, 7 here says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. How do you reconcile grace? How does grace work alongside of the law of sowing and reaping? I'll tell you how. You see, this, this comes at a place right here, Galatians chapter 6. It comes after five solid chapters of Paul preaching grace. All of, all of Galatians is about grace. It's about how, hey, how did you get the Spirit? How did you get the blessings from God? Did you get it from the law? No. All you get is condemnation from the law. You got it from the grace of God. You got it from his blood. He took every single, there is no curse. There is no falling short. It is all taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he sums it up by saying, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And I believe that what he's talking about here, when he says, if you sow, to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He's talking about we need to sow seeds 
of grace. We need to sow seeds of the first five chapters of Galatians here, okay? If you're going to reap a harvest of grace. Even as Christians, we could sow into the law. I've seen people that have sown, Christians that have sown to the law. I myself have been a Christian who has sown to the law. And of the law, listen to me, the law will justify no man. It only brings condemnation. If it were possible that we could even for a split second, through the works of the law, attain righteousness before God, then Christ's death was in vain. We need to rely 100% absolutely on the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the seeds that we need to have sown in our hearts, complete with our believer, full reassurance that it is on Jesus' blood alone and not ourselves. That needs to be on our believers, not only in our mouths, but in our deepest parts. We need to know that so that when the devil comes along and says, you're not good enough, God's mad at you, everybody else hates you, you might as well just do whatever you want to do. You know that's not what the grace of God says. That's not what the cross of Christ says. Those, those seeds have been planted firmly in my heart, and I know that victory that I have. I'm not going to sow seeds of getting what I deserve, justice, according to the law. If you sow justice, you will reap condemnation on yourself, on others. Sow the blood of Christ, the mercy, the grace of Christ. Notice that when Paul, in, in chapter 5, I believe it is, where he mentions the fruits of the Spirit, first he starts out by mentioning the works of the flesh. Notice he calls them the works of the flesh, and he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. The flesh always works. The flesh always is justice. I get what I, what I work for. But the Spirit, God's grace, is fruit in our lives. It produces fruit. Those seeds that we sow need to be of that. From the very deepest part of us. You've got to put your faith in grace. See, Paul... <clears throat> Paul put it this way. He said, we're saved by grace through faith. A better translation of that would be to say, we are saved by God's grace through our faith. We have to have faith. It's got to be grounded in our believer in God's grace. Because you see, right living stems from right believing. Being righteous before God is a matter of believing the right things. Isn't that how we get saved? Is we believe on Jesus Christ. We apply what he has done for us. It's right believing. Thank you for listening to Liberty Christian Center's podcast. To partner with this ministry or for any additional information, please visit libertychristiancenter.org.